But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Okay, but what if you did want to get more coffee into your life? Well, good news for you, folks. We have a brand new sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show. It is one run-your-mouth coffee free speech. Never tasted so good. The hope is that the delicious roast-to-order coffee provides you with the fuel. Yes, you need to stand up to censorship and proudly run your mouth with amazing coffee to help you truly speak freely from 12-ounce bags up to 2-pound bags all of the coffee from the amazing Run Your Mouth Coffee is roasted to order after roasting delivery. It takes around two to five days, meaning that you will receive fresh roasted coffee made for you at peak flavor. And all coffee varieties are available both in ground and whole bean. From espresso yourself, speak freely, mind changer, pumpkin persuasion, and rebellion beans, Run Your Mouth Coffee has some delicious coffee just in store for you. And folks, if you are a listener of The Brian Nichols Show, you can use code NICHOLS at checkout and get 10% off your order. So head over to Run Your Mouth Coffee. Make sure you use code Nichols at checkout. Get 10% off your order and run your mouth today. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. (laughs) Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Well, we made it. We made it to Friday after a marathon of a week. Five phenomenal episodes, and yes, you are in store today for the fifth and final episode of this incredible week of episodes here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on the fifth episode. I am your humble host, Brian Nichols, and today we are joined once again by friend of the show, Hannah Cox. Now, Hannah is returning to The Brian Nichols Show today, representing the conservatives concerned about the death penalty, focusing specifically on some policy wins that we're seeing here in regards to the death penalty. Yes, people are looking at the death penalty in a different light because as we acknowledge here on The Brian Nichols Show, as members of the audience, that, well, the government just isn't that good at doing pretty much anything. So how could we ever expect them to go ahead and really carry forward the most finite of acts, and that is ending someone's life based on the evidence or lack thereof that they did something heinous. And uh, Hannah joins the program to discuss why it is so important for conservatives, yes, to be concerned about the death penalty and more. So that being said, on to the show, Hannah Cox here on The Brian Nichols Show. So good to be back, Brian. So great to have you back, Hannah. Thank you for all you're doing. You're so busy. We were just talking before we we hit record how busy we uh, we find ourselves. Uh, you obviously busy not just with your work over at Conservatives Concern, but also uh, you doing your work over at Based, which is your amazing new show, and also over at Fee. So since you were last in the program, I'm sure you've been a little busy um, in in those different areas. So how about this? Let's kind of catch the audience back up to speed. What's been happening in the life of Hannah Cox? 
Yeah, that sounds good. You know, I think we talked last sometime the fall, late summer of last year, and it feels like there's been an eternity, even though like I'm not going anywhere. I'm just at home working. <laughs> so there's been a lot. I did launch my new show based. It's a vodcast. So it's available on YouTube and Facebook and then um, Spotify and iTunes. And that's been so fun. We're doing monthly episodes, just kind of digging into really big issues that I think are at the forefront of a lot of people's minds in the country and trying to help people understand how we got there, what the government actually did behind the scenes that created the problem in the first place, um, what the economic factors were behind it, and really trying to help people establish a better base for themselves of principles and understand the basis of problems that we face. So I've loved doing that show. It's been a good time. Um, and aside from that, we have been still tracking. We've been moving quite quickly with conservatives concern. We've actually overturned another state since you and I last spoke. We've got two or three more on the horizon. Um, and then I have been doing some work with Fee, the Foundation for Economic Education, as a fellow over there. We actually, um, they just launched their new Hazlitt project today for listeners. I've been a big part of that. And that's a new program where they are looking for people who are aspiring journalists. Uh, it's an apprenticeship program. And they're gonna, going to train people on writing and journalism and editing and, and marketing and really trying to help um, bring up the next generation of folks to help spread liberty. So all of it's been very exciting. Very exciting and very time consuming. I don't think people realize that uh, time, though though everybody experiences time the exact same way, some of us are just like, there just aren't enough hours in the day. Um, and, and honestly, right now, what you're doing with conservatives concerned about the death penalty, I would say that might be one of your most important ventures because it's actually impacting quite literally whether or not people live or die. So you mentioned you just had another win here uh, with conservatives concerned. Let's talk about, not how about this? You know, rewind to October because since October, We've seen our numbers skyrocket. So there's a brand new audience who is now getting the chance to, uh, I guess, meet uh, who this new organization to them would be, conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Hannah, I thought conservatives really didn't care about the death penalty. Can you help correct that narrative really quick? And then let's go into those wins. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think I was the stereotypical conservative growing up where I was pro-death penalty and really never thought anything else about it. I just thought every conservative was, was pro-death penalty and why would you not be, you know? Um, and a number of years ago, I started encountering the justice system through some mental health work I was doing. And like many people, I sort of had a conversion story where when I started seeing up close what was happening behind the scenes, I was super aghast. I was upset. Couldn't believe that the justice system I had been told was structured, that it was better that 100 guilty men go free rather than one innocent person perish, was operating like this. And I quickly became against the death penalty. And shortly thereafter, I actually came across my current organization, Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. And I remember thinking, there's a whole organization of conservatives against this? Like, I guess it's okay. I guess I can be too, right? <laughs> um, but Conservatives Concerned has been around actually at the national level since 2013. And we've been growing rapidly. We started in Montana and just really took off kind of organically from there. Um, and we've now added 15 different state chapters We've been involved with three successful repeal campaigns. Every year, we've got about 10 states or so that have Republican-sponsored bills to repeal the death penalty. Um, and, and increasingly, we're winning this battle. You know, I think it's been happening kind of quietly, kind of under the radar. Up until last year, we hadn't had federal executions in 17 years. So the national conversation had sort of dried up. And I don't think people knew how much conservatives were moving on this issue over those 17 years. But many of them, like me, especially as we entered the age of information, they were getting to see up close and in person behind the curtain of the justice system, whether that be through actual experience or whether that be through, you know, Netflix, documentaries, podcasts. And they were recognizing that it was really, you know, ridiculous that as conservatives, we believe in a limited government because we know it's prone to error, to corruption and, and that 
that it's very fallible. And yet we thought it should have the power of life and death. And people have, have recognized that was a logical inconsistency and been moving on it. So we've um, we've covered a lot of ground in my three years. We've had three states overturned. And I think that we could anticipate possibly even seeing another overturn this year, which would make it the first year with two in a row. Wow. Um, we've also got movement at the federal level. You know, I think Trump's resumption, resumption of executions was startling to a lot of people. He really, really revved it up. Some people might not know. He actually killed more people than the past, like, 60 years worth of other presidents combined before him. So he went on a huge execution killing spree last year and obviously cut a lot of corners legally and constitutionally to do that. Um, and so I think that there's it's gotten people's attention at the federal level and there's a good conversation happening there as well. So as it stands right now, we're down to 24 states that have it um, in some capacity or another. Of those, over a third have not carried out an execution in a decade or more. So we're down to like 10 states or less, mostly concentrated in the deep south that are even still doing this. So I guess, how, how about this? Let's kind of set the, the, the I guess, framing of this entire conversation, focusing on those remaining states, because obviously... We, we've already gotten the, the wins, which we can point to, um, but let's kind of focus on those states specifically. I, I'm assuming Deep South, we're going to say probably more conservative leaning states. So this is actually the people that your group is, is really needed because we need to talk to these people, right? We need to change their minds. So when you're coming into the conversation, Hannah, as a former, you know, this, this former pro-death penalty conservative, what's the argument that you're finding is resonating most with people? Is it the big government argument that, you know, hey, we see this in the, you know, in, in name government program as you inflate government, we see corruption, we see a, a opportunity for inefficiencies or, you know, unintended consequences. What? Uh, yeah, happening. And, and that maybe that is the, the trigger that people start to realize or is there something else? You know, I think it's a combination. I often say to people, the death penalty is so bad. It's like this big iceberg of issues. And there's there's something for everybody. I really, I find the most effective argument is the one that counters whatever the person's assumptions are that I'm talking to. So I usually like to find out why they support it. Um, for me, you know, I supported it because I thought if I were a victim's family member, I would want it. And I thought that that was something that they would need. Uh, I thought it saved money. And I thought that it was a deterrent to crime. Now, none of those things are true. Now, not to say you have no victim's families that want it. You do have some, but we see a vast majority that do not. In fact, at state capitals where we've overturned it, we've seen something like 36 to 40 different families turn out against it compared to like one that's there to keep it when it comes to victims' families' populations. And there's a lot of reasons for that when you get to understand how it works a bit more. Um, you really understand how it could prolong the grief that somebody goes to and kind of keep this, like, wound open. You know, they're having to go in and out of court for decades and keep hearing these details. And the person, the murderer's name gets elevated and their loved one's name dies. And then, you know, they have the weight of taking another life on their shoulders. We've had one person exonerated for every eight executions. So then you add in the families who have wanted the death penalty only to find out that the person they were trying to have killed was innocent. You know, that's a lot to compound the grief that somebody already experiences. And so it actually really makes sense why a lot of them don't want it. Um, as far as the deterrence factor, it's actually the opposite. You know, we see regions that get rid of it and states that get rid of it tend to either maintain their violent rates or they actually decrease. Uh, whereas regions that are carrying it out actually see higher rates of violent crime and they even see an uptick. So um, that wasn't true. And then the cost, you know, that was absolutely not true. The death penalty is the very most expensive part of the justice system. And it's not expensive because it takes too long. It's expensive because the trial is complicated um, in an effort to ensure that we don't kill innocent people. It's a pretty lengthy process. And yet we still do, you know. And so ultimately, when you really dig into it, it's every which way you turn. There's a problem with the death penalty. And I often say we win these battles because all the evidence is on our side. I'm an evidence person. 
I'm a research person. I changed my mind on it because there was no longer a leg to stand on <laughs> to uphold it. And I just think that that's, that's kind of where we get. I try not to beat people over the head with the facts, but ultimately um, it's just a matter of getting the information in front of them. And, and the vast majority of people will move away from it pretty quickly once they're presented with these you know, various different elements. Um, I do think the innocence issues, if I had to pick, are probably the biggest for people. I, I just don't think most people have any idea the vast number of wrongful convictions we've had or how hard it is to prove them. You know, many people think, oh, we found these wrongful convictions that prove the system's working. No, <laughs> actually, the system works to uphold itself. You know, there was a lot of backlash this past fall when Kamala Harris was called out for blocking the testing of DNA evidence that could have exonerated a man on death row when she was attorney general. And people were outraged and reaching out to me. And I was like, yeah, that's bad, but it, it's happening right now as we speak. It happens every day. Attorneys general and district attorneys do right. this all the time. They work to uphold their cases. The only reason we really tend to find these wrongful convictions are thanks to the outside work of pro bono groups like the Innocence Project that are coming in and working to come through these old cases. And even then, you know, they don't have the resources to really do that for every case. So we know innocent people slip through the cracks. And it's um, I just think that's unacceptable for anybody who claims to be a pro-life limited government individual liberty person that's there's no way you can abide by that system yeah and and the stories right of the people who are impacted by those who are you know wrongfully put to death one out of eight that's 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 not like a small number number one number two it's not just that one person that one person along with their their close family their friends you know that entire circle of influence is impacted by this one wrongful person being put to death for something they didn't do and i mean hannah i guess maybe and you tell me have you found that telling the stories of the people who were wrongfully convicted that that's been that maybe something that's been helping at least raise awareness to these issues yeah, I really credit the true crime genre and its popularity so much with the movement that we see on justice reform, because, again, you know, for the average person, thankfully, they're not going to encounter the justice system in a meaningful way throughout their lives. I and I was sort of in that boat, you know, you're middle class, especially if you're white, you live in the suburbs, like, who do you know impacted by the justice system? I didn't know anybody. Had it not been for my passion for mental health issues and, and doing pro bono work, I would never have encountered it like I did. Right. Um, and I think for the average person, true crime and its popularity has has been that window into the justice system. And those stories have really helped them understand exactly how this goes down. Because it can, I mean, the legal system is highly complicated. It's, it's very confusing. But I think when you have these stories, you can say like, oh, that prosecutor lied. Right, yeah. <laughs> that prosecutor was little evidence. Okay, I see how this could happen, you know. Um, and I think at state capitals, what's been really effective is to actually bring in these exonerees, which, you know, we have a ton of now, one for every eight. We've got these guys um, around. And so when they come in and tell their stories, it's really powerful. I actually credit um, a, a, a man named Ray Crone. And he was wrongfully convicted and put on death row in Arizona. He actually went through two trials where he was sentenced to death in Arizona. He was blatantly innocent. He was convicted on bite mark evidence, which we now know is just utter junk science. It's not allowed anymore. But um, he was convicted on that. And I, I had sort of been like teetering on the anti-death penalty line. Like I kept telling people and I was doing work on the death penalty at this point. I was doing some work around like mental health um, intervention and like uh, what we call SMI legislation, basically preventing people with severe mental illness from being executed. And so I would kind of gotten this point where I was like, yeah, I'm against the death penalty in practice, but like, I just don't feel anything. Like I would witness colleagues of mine at that point that would kind of tear up when they talked about it. And I was like, yeah, I just, I don't have that though. And when I heard Ray speak, it finally hit 
and clicked for me. Just the gravity of having this man in front of me and hearing his story and being like, oh my God, they almost killed him. (laughs) Like this guy could have been dead years ago. You know, it really just absolutely changed it for me. And I, that's one thing we do try to do for state lawmakers is get some of these people in front of them, get the murder victims, family members in front of them, get the exonerees there. And then get, you know, you mentioned other people being impacted. There's the victim's family members and the offender's family members. But then you've also got people in the correction system who are very impacted. We have jury members who most people don't know this, but after um, these kind of trials, we often the state will pay for therapy services for jury members because it's so hard um, asking people to send somebody to die like that really messes with somebody. We have members of corrections. We have people who have worked inside the prisons and in law enforcement who this takes a significant toll on. And they later you know, come out and work against the death penalty because of their experiences. So it really is um, something that has like this. Uh, ripple effect of trauma and right now i think people we so when we first had this con well, i say not first actually it was like our third time we had a conversation um but second time talking about conservatives concerned uh back in october you know we're stuck in lockdown and now just as we're recording here at the beginning of march we're starting to see some states opening up but now i mean people really were having conversations about this kind of stuff. People really weren't thinking or talking about this stuff. I mean, goodness, I, I we were talking before we started recording. I had a new hire start and, you know, she and one of my, uh, my coworkers started to bond over true crime podcasts. And like, I didn't, that's a world I would never even think to really <laughs> dig into for shows, but like, yeah, that's interesting that that's where we're finding some success. Right. And it keeps building on this idea. And, you know, one of the things we've been doing here at the show has been focusing on like the best way to get these ideas to stick with people and, and across the board storytelling and, and raising up, you know, real people's lived experiences while lived experiences. And we, we know we can't just base it entirely on the lived experiences, but to tell that story, it, it does captivate us in a way that otherwise I think just, you know, putting numbers in front of people, it doesn't really, doesn't really captivate him like it really should. It's just those are numbers on the page. But then you put the person's face to it and you put the the emotion, the tone of their voice, and you can actually hear how they were directly impacted. I think that's really going to be, yes, to your point, Hannah, the, the way we can actually get people to, uh, to, I guess, ask more questions and say, well, what can I do to help? And I guess let's kind of turn it this way. Well, you're seeing the success in, in making some states, uh, you know, change their policies. So, what can folks in these deep uh, red states right now that do still have the death penalty on the books as law, what can they do to help maybe raise awareness or get you know the ball moving to get things uh, going the right direction to get the death penalty out of there? Yeah, you know, there's so many opportunities. And the thing that is exciting to me is I got involved with this work peripherally when I was still in the music industry full time. And I was somebody who just cared a lot about politics. And I I kind of wanted to move into that full time as my career, but just didn't have the experience at that point. And this was an issue that I was able to get active on. And I think it's a really good opening for other people who might be in that boat or who maybe aren't trying to go into politics full time, but want to have some influence. And it's easy to do it because there's not a ton of people doing it. (laughs) You know, they aren't used to hearing from conservatives on this issue in many of these places. And so I think when somebody reaches out to, you know, a Republican ladies luncheon and says, hey, I'd like to come speak to you about the death penalty. They're like, okay. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, we'll entertain this. We haven't heard anything about this. And um, I actually found that when I was doing that around Tennessee, I got a really good reaction. You know, they were really interested. It was information a lot of them had just never encountered. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, if people have time on their hands to do that, or if they're involved with, you know, local rotary clubs or any kind of organization where they have meetings, um, just trying to start talking to people and make sure that they have some of these facts in front of them, telling them the stories they've heard. I think that's incredibly influential. And I, I study the human brain a good bit. I'm fascinated by it. One of my favorite podcasts is called Hidden Brain. And I listened to an episode recently on there that was looking at how, um, how trends spread. 
And we found that um, in the studies that, you know, people actually tend to move on things when strong ties around them move. And so it's so important for people to see people in their network moving on this issue. And I think, you know, that was my experience, too, when I recognized, oh, there's a whole organization of other conservatives that are against this. It really gave me permission to move forward and be stronger in kind of my new beliefs around it. So I think that's a big deal. You know, and that can just be posting on social media. That can just be sharing in groups that you're in. Um, and then the other thing is, is reaching out to your lawmakers. You know, I just cannot overemphasize how important it is to contact your state house uh, senator or state house representative and your state senator. Those those guys, they don't hear from people that much. You, know, you really would be surprised if you work around state capitals, how few people get active at this level, how few of them really hear from somebody. If they hear from a dozen people on an issue, that's an extreme amount of contact. It's going to really get their attention. I think you can also reach out to your governor's offices and your um, attorneys general to your local district attorney. These are all elected positions and they hold the power over the system. Um, I will tell you that the main opposition and really the only opposition we face when we go to state legislatures and are working on repeal campaigns are district attorneys and their um, their conferences or their associations, which they have in every hmm. state. Yeah. And they don't just work against the death penalty. They work against any kind of criminal justice reform. They'll do anything to hang on to their power. And so I think anything that can be done to like let those guys know, hey, you know, we're paying attention. I'm your I'm your constituent. I will be voting and I'm paying attention to what you do in this regard is is highly important. Good. Good. Put the feet to the fire. Honestly, we need we, yeah. this is kind of the thing, right? Like we've been and we're relatively close in, in age. And I think, you know, we're seeing it's more of our generation and a little bit you know before us that it was like the you're not supposed to talk about that generation like you know we we kind of just were like hey it's just one of those things just don't don't engage it's gonna get weird at, at dinner like just let it go and now it's like listen you know maybe we need to start having these conversations not not fighting not trying to debate each other but actually like engage in dialogue and and it's gonna get maybe a little weird it's gonna get uncomfortable but like this is how we change people's minds and i think when you mentioned the the trends right so uh, again my day job i'm a sales executive and i'm always looking at i love yeah looking at like psychology and how people are are, like how people click like why do people make decisions And, and we know by you just the sheer looking at the data, people make decisions based on emotion, right? And then they rationalize it with logic. Well, okay, well let's let's kind of sell into that, right? Like like let's tell more of these stories, and people will see firsthand how damaging it is, and and it, it really does impact so many people beyond just the the person that is wrongfully put to death. So Hannah, I mean. We could talk all day long about conservatives' concern. I mean, you guys are doing amazing work, but I do want to give a little bit of time here to promote your other work that you're doing behind the scenes. Number one, you mentioned your video blog base, which you're doing phenomenal work, and you're helping it being based on ideas, which I love. Um, but also, you mentioned uh, working over at Fee. So how about this? Let's kind of talk about a few things that you're doing at Base and a few things at Fee uh, in the more recent months since we last spoke that really have uh, been getting some traction. Yeah, so it's been a very exciting couple of months, even though I've not been able to travel. I'm still in a travel ban from work. So that's been interesting. I used to be a road warrior, but I've been able to fill it with all this extra fun work and content that has, you know, kind of been in the back of my mind for a while. And I just haven't had the capacity. You mentioned time. I think you and I are both people that are always like, I need more time. There's so much to be done. So I was, I've had the idea for based in my mind for a long time. And it's because I am somebody who is an issues based person and because I don't like either party. And, and by the nature of my 
my work since I've entered politics, I've always been in these positions where I've gotten to work with both liberals and Republicans on issues that we can come together on. And it's been wonderful because I've gotten to kind of get past the stereotypes that you get on both sides and recognize like, oh, we actually can come together on more than I thought we could, you know, or so often like we'll click on one thing, let's say criminal justice reform, and then, you know, we'll start talking about something else, let's say, um, you know, problems with capitalism. And I'll start pointing out, oh, well, that's not oh, well, that's your issue. That's not really capitalism. Actually, that's corporate welfare. Let's talk about that because I have a problem with it too, right? And it just had this amazing ability for us to like come together on more and more and more issues. And I think that's where most Americans are. I think you have these Looney Tunes on the fringe on both sides and it's a small amount of the population, but most Americans are over here kind of in the center and we don't like either of those two guys. And we actually just want to get solutions to these big pressing problems that are facing society. And so that's what BASED is about. I wanted to to kind of dissect those different issues and have a conversation with people like I would in person, like, oh, you have an issue with healthcare costs? Me too. Let's talk about why our healthcare is so expensive. Let's look at what the government did, because in my opinion, the vast majority of problems that we face um, were created by government in the first place. So I'm down to deconstruct these things and I want to see them fixed too. But the answer is not going to be more big government because that created the problem in the first place. And so my hope with the with the show is to illuminate some of those issues, the backgrounds and let people really know, like, here's what was going on behind the scenes. Here's what you might not know about. And this is what has, has created. And here are the laws of economics that would have predicted that, you know, had we actually been there when this was going down, we could have said that this would happen. Um, and I also think, you know, I, I do it with economics issues. I do it with more social issues, too. You know, I'm a, I'm a proponent of the Second Amendment. I'm anti-gun control. But I want people to understand um, many of the reasons that I'm pro-gun control are really grounded in an understanding of how the state diminishes people and takes away power and targets people. And so I did an episode on gun control's racist history. And I had a lot of people on the left that were reaching out like, wow, I had no idea that this is where all of this came from. Yep. Anyway, so when I do that, I think it gives us the opportunity to like take down the stereotypes. You know, I often have people reach out and they'll say, you're the first libertarian conservative I've ever followed because I know you're not racist. And I'm like, oh, that is such a low bar. <laughs> like, so but but people aren't having these conversations. You know, they're not letting people understand, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not anti universal health care because I don't care about people. I'm anti it for these reasons. And I have these other ideas that I think could better solve it. And I think when people get to see people from our ideology like that, it, it helps us take down our, our, you know, barriers and and really start to see each other as people and try to come together to really address these issues. So I've loved doing the show. It's been a really, really fun time for me and it's doing well so far. So thanks for promoting it to your audience. I hope they check it out again. It's called based with Hannah Cox. Um, and then in, on the other side of my work, I've, I've gotten the privilege to work with fee in recent months. Now, if you don't know fee, that's their acronym. It stands for the foundation for economic education. And fee is a really big deal to me because when I was first um, encountering politics as like potential kind of workforce sort of encountering it, um, I was still in the music industry and I'd, I'd done a little bit of work on the side in politics. But I had, I had quickly realized as somebody who had just grown up kind of traditionally conservative Republican that when I was going and speaking to Republican groups, a lot of them were expressing things that I did not identify with. There were a lot of them that were saying, you know, even back in like 2012, 20, 2013, like anti-immigrant stuff, anti-Muslim stuff. And I was like, I, I like Muslims and immigrants. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, it, it really forced me to have to figure out what I believed and why, aside from a party, because I thought, oh, God, this is not what I think. You know, this isn't what I believe. So in the process of that, I encountered Fee. 
And Fee was so instrumental in me developing my ideology and really gaining a more concrete understanding of economics, like free market capitalism was sort of just a buzzword to me at the time. And I think this is true for many people, because you see people that think the Republican Party supports free market capitalism. And then you're like, that's not what they're doing. Do you know what that is? (laughs) So Fee's great because they, they really do have this ability to kind of break down these complicated subjects and make them digestible and entertaining and like, and, and relatable to modern day things. And so they were really a big deal for me. And so getting to write for them is cool because it's come full circle. And I just, I think the world of their staff, they have an amazing crew over there and just really dedicated people. Um, and it's funny because I think I, I actually feel like less of a libertarian in that room. I'm usually like the most libertarian in every room. And there I'm like, am I a conservative? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's been really fun. I mean, they are, they're great people and, and we do a ton of good content. So we've got a lot of articles that we're producing. Um, again, just trying to take modern issues, things that are happening in pop culture in pop in political affairs and, and um, in the schools and just various things and, and help people understand what the economic issues are that kind of run underneath those topics. Um, we've also got a lot of videos that are coming out. We just launched a TikTok channel. We're trying to reach Gen Z. So that's been fun as a millennial. They like are making fun of my side part and jeans as we speak, but still trying to reach them. (laughs) And um, so yeah, people should check out fee.org. There's there's so much good stuff going on there. They've got a... um, a project called Out of Frame that has some really cool videos. And a lot of it's like self-development and um, really just kind of individualism and and a more holistic approach to our ideology besides just the economics component. So I think there's a lot there for, for people to like. I love it. And and I know you guys are making a difference. I'll, I'll tell a, a story here, right? So I actually had a lefty friend um, who he reached out to me and he's like, listen, I know that you're into this whole like libertarian thing. And I know that you think this whole like minimum wage thing is crazy, that it's going to destroy businesses, it's going to, you know, either destroy businesses or destroy jobs and, or, and destroy the job market. And like, can you just, can you help me? Like, I, I just, I, I need help understanding it. And I pointed him to feed. I, I specifically actually had pointed him to some work that Brad had done, uh, Brad Palumbo. And, um, like he said, th- like, thank you. I, I get it. Like this, this makes sense now. Um, and that for me said, okay, there there are people out there who we would consider traditionally people that we, we can't reach. But I think it it's partly on us to get rid of that misconception. It, we have to maybe recalibrate and say, maybe these folks genuinely just don't get it. Because think about it, right? They went through the same public schooling system that we did. They, they, they for the lack, I mean, they didn't learn what they did not learn for a reason, right? There's a reason they did not learn what they did not learn. And We've gone out of our way. We've we've taken the, the extra steps. And now there's a lot of people who are starting to say, wait a minute, what we were taught isn't that's not right. And now they're now they're starting to say, okay, maybe I need to start taking these extra steps. So it's on us. Now we have to be the ones to to say, okay, listen, I'm gonna hold your hand. And and I wish I had somebody that could have held my hand. So I think it's gonna be more important for us. Like we don't want to be the kid from the Polar Express, the know it all kid. Like nobody wants to be a friend with that guy, right? So <laughs> don't be that person. We have to be engaging. We have to be uh, welcoming, and, and we also have to be understanding that they're not entering in at level 1,000 libertarian or conservatarian like we are. That they're probably you know very infant stages, or 
they're completely uh, polar opposite from where we are. So, I mean, with that being said, Hannah, I could keep on going all day with you. You, you have a, a great, great, um, you know, not only program you're doing at base, but with all the work you're doing, I mean, yes, again, I can't keep saying enough. You're making a difference. So I want to make sure that we push people uh, right towards uh, your direction. So plug time, where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media and obviously uh, support all the great work you're doing? Well, thanks so much, Brian. I really appreciate that. And and back at you, your show is just phenomenal. And I really appreciate your voice in the in the Liberty space and always nice. enjoy it. Um, people can find me on Twitter at Hannah Cox 7. That's where I'm most active. I have a public Facebook at Hannah Danielle Cox 7. So if they want to check out my social media, um, that's a good place to start. And I link everything I do there. People can also go to my YouTube show, which is based with Hannah Cox. They can also Google it on iTunes or on um, Spotify based with Hannah Cox and it will come up. And, um, and then I also have a Substack, a newsletter, hannahcox.substack.com. If people want to get even more connected, that's another outlet. Um, and again, our websites are fee.org and conservativesconcern.org. So if they'd like more information on either of the groups that I work with, head on over there. Fantastic. Hannah Cox, as always, a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thanks so much, Brian. E-A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels having a herniated disc in my back. Whew. Coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up our conversation with Hannah Cox. Hannah, thank you for joining the program. And folks, if you enjoyed the program, well, you know the drill. Number one, please do me a solid and share today's episode. And when you do, be sure to go ahead and tag yours truly as I drop my things. You can find me at Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com at B Nichols Liberty. And I'll make sure I include Hannah's links in the show notes as well. Also, if you want to go ahead and say hello, we'll go ahead and email me, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And heading up here this week, folks, my goodness, we have another four amazing episodes in store for you starting here on Sunday. We are joined by Martha Bueno. Martha is continuing our candidate series and Martha is running for a city council in the greater Miami-Dade area. So the episode on Sunday, then coming up here on Monday, Frederick Lawrence, the CEO and seventh secretary of Phi Beta Kappa joins the Brian Nichols show discussing free speech on college campuses. Then joining us on Wednesday, Anna Ziegler from the Federalist discussing Ron DeSantis. Who is Ron DeSantis and what would his national figure look like if he were to run in 2024? And then from the Fairness Center, we have a new friend uh, joining us, 
the new CEO of the Fairness Center, Nathan McGrath, joining the Brian Nichols Show talking about the importance of the Fairness Center and uh, some updates on some cases that they've been winning. I love to hear the stories of uh, the organizations out there who are fighting the good fight and what they are doing. Um, so guys, if you are getting some value from what we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show, I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that amazing five-star rating and review, and then go ahead and give a quick blurb. Why do you listen to The Brian Nichols Show? Are you a brand new audience member, or did you listen to The Brian Nichols Show now for going on over three years? Well, either way, go ahead and give us a review, and you'll hear your review read on air like Brady did, uh, where he said, great podcast with a great host. Well, thank you, Brady. Brian is one of the nicest guys in the libertarian movement and always has interesting guests. Highly recommend this podcast. To anyone who is Liberty Curious or just wants to hear new and interesting viewpoints. Well, thank you, Brady, and thank you to all all those other folks out there who have gone out of your way to give a rating and review. I greatly appreciate it. And we will continue to read those fantastic reviews here on our Friday episode. So make sure you want to go ahead and tell the world why you are a fan of the show. Well, I would love to hear it as well. Um, so go ahead and make sure you go and get your five-star rating and review in between now and next Friday. So, guys, with that being said, four amazing episodes coming down the pike here next week. So with that being said, make sure you strap in, but it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Hannah Cox. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.